Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Teams podcast, Why Language Matters. Welcome, everyone. These are our very first series of cultural conversations. These are part of our Why Language Matters podcast series, which are, of course, meant to explore the power of words, their meaning, and how we can make simple tweaks to our language to be more inclusive and be more respectful to each other. And as we, you know, got to talking about these, we we realized, hey, you know, it may be a little difficult to know which are the right words to choose and you know how to engage with people to be very respectful and to be inclusive if you don't really know much about them. So that's why we started these cultural conversations. I'm really excited that you all signed up and are here today. These conversations are meant to be safe and respectful places for us to get together and get to know other Sunrunners through learning about their culture and their unique lived experiences. It's a safe and respectful place to listen, learn, and engage by asking questions. So we we do encourage you to ask questions and, you know, chime in, unmute, uh, put your screen on, you know, ha- have a conversation here. I'm Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm located in Orange County, California, and I'm the program lead on the diversity, inclusion, and belonging team here at Sunrun. Um, I'll be here to kind of help moderate the Q&A toward the end. We like to leave space so that that way, you know, we can have that open open conversation and, and folks can ask questions. I am really excited to introduce Badiana Badio. Badiana is on the sales end of the organization and she'll, she'll tell you a little bit more about her, but um, Badiana is a huge diversity champion. She's been working with the diversity, inclusion and belonging team on her own time, you know, helping out, being a co-host of the Why Language Matters podcast, helping put together these great virtual backgrounds and the Okta backgrounds and all of that. So she's been really hands-on and we're really lucky to have her. So um, she's going to tell you a little bit about herself and, and her experiences. So really excited to get started. Welcome, Badiana. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that wonderful introduction. So grateful. Hello, Sunrunners. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate having you here. Like Nick said, I am Badiana Badio. I am a Haitian American. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, currently located in Westport, Mass, to Haitian immigrants. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am in the field sales department at Sunrun, working towards transitioning into human resources. And I welcome all of you to my cultural conversation. So I'm actually going to kick off this conversation with a story. So this happened to me last Monday, August 16th. I was in, I was at a market in Wakefield, Rhode Island. I was in that area for work that day and had a small window of downtime before my next appointment to grab a quick bite to eat. So for context, I was wearing a fabulous flower crown. (laughs) I had, this is not the flower crown I was wearing at the time, but I was wearing it because, (laughs) thanks Courtney, I was wearing it because that past weekend I had an event with a bunch of friends and I had actually a real floral crown made for me by one of my Sunrun clients who I've become really good friends with. So I had put that on because I wanted to keep those, you know, flower power vibes going on. And I went to this market. I had some time between appointments to grab a quick bite to eat. So at the hot foods bar, there was an elderly white woman. So I'm 
discussing race because it gives you, you know, this allows everyone to visualize the setting. And she was placing her order and I was in line behind her, giving her six feet of space. I wanted that for her safety and my own. And while I was in line, I was just trying to decipher what I wanted to eat and whatnot and like what I was going to quickly grab. Another woman, probably another white woman, probably in her 50s or so, when the young woman that was taking our orders yelled, next customer, I proceeded to step forward. She came from the side and completely cut me off and stepped right in front of me <laughs> and proceeded to start giving this woman her order. And the, the employee at the market was just like, she gave me this look of pure horror and more and like, she was just mortified at what just happened. And I looked back at her, like acknowledging like, yes, I'm, I acknowledge that this just occurred. And I kind of waited for her to say something, but she continued to take, she just moved on and took the woman's order. And the whole time, this one lengthy, like she was ordering pretty much everything in that hot bar and she did not acknowledge me. She did not even pretend to see that I was there. They, she had conversation with the other elderly woman. They were making small talk about like, what's the good stuff on the hot bar. It was, it literally was like, I did not exist. I was not there at all <laughs> to this woman. And at that point there's, when stuff like this happens to me, I'm usually pretty vocal, but at that point I was just like tired. I wasn't like the whole incident just kind of depleted my energy. I didn't have the strength or energy to just like fight back. Also, I'm at I'm on work time, so I didn't want to come off as like the stereotype of being an angry black woman who's just like losing her shit for no reason. So I op so I opted to just not say anything. I was just quiet. I let this woman put her order in. It was a good solid 10-15 minutes of her just dilly-dallying in front of this hot bar. Eventually I got up there and the teller looked at me with kind of like these knowing eyes, like, sorry that happened to you. She didn't vocalize it, but I could tell by the expression on her face. And then I walked out. Long story short, I don't plan on going back to that market <laughs> ever again, but I just wanted to start the conversation with, I was invisible to that woman. She literally like did not acknowledge that I existed at all. <laughs> and I wanted to pose the question, have you ever been in situations where you did not feel seen? Type yes in the chat or unmute. And then also, how did it make you feel? Those listening, we have an absolutely coming through the chat. <laughs> so with that being said, <laughs> yeah. Yes, and it feels terrible. And I can imagine, Badiana, just like, it sounded like you were just in such like a great light mood, like kind of feeling yourself a little bit, you know, having a good time. Let's go get some eat, something to eat. And go back out on the work day and, and that's got to be a bit deflating. Like yeah, that. it definitely was a bit deflating. It kind of just killed my vibe completely. And I was just like, kind of set the tone for the week at that point. It just set me back um, like emotionally and just like my energy and my whole mental perspective, like my, my whole mental health that week kind of took like a downward decline from that point on. And that just the incident reminded me how I subconsciously go into every day, knowing that my first step of every day is to make sure that I am seen. And then everything else that we humans have to deal with on the day to day stacks on top of that. 
So constantly having to make sure that I'm seen, then I have to, that being seen then allows me to actually be heard. And then that being heard allows me to be acknowledged. And then being acknowledged allows me to show and present myself as a valuable part of this, you know, this human race that has so much to offer. And like constantly having to overcome those hurdles day after day after day, it does get exhausting. And without a strong foundation, that is, it's nearly impossible to stay positive, stay upbeat, have a healthy mindset and continue to do what I do every single day. So go ahead. But I just, you, you reminded me of like, so I had a, a similar experience where it was, I kept saying something. It was like, you know, everybody had a question. It was like, oh, what are we going to do? And everybody's trying to figure it out. And I kept saying something like over and over and like, this is, this is what I would do. Hey, can we try this? Hey, can we try that? Hey, can, hey, hey, maybe I have a good idea too. <laughs> and, you know, like, and finally, you know, one of the guys says, Oh, we should maybe try this. And then, and then of course it works and it's the greatest idea in the world. And I'm just like, I had important things to contribute to, but like, you couldn't listen to you. You couldn't listen to me before you could actually hear my idea and then actually implement and go, okay, that may be worth the try. So it's exhausting, man. Like just to be heard and then listened to, and then have, you know, people take you seriously. So Exactly, Nick. Exactly. I love that example. It's that that day in and day out, exactly, just kind of takes a toll on you and just kind of eats away at you slowly. Yes, Ro? Yeah, I figured it'd be polite and raise my hand <laughs> instead of speaking up. Uh, hey, this is Ro to all the listeners out there. Yeah, it's funny that Nick says that. I mean, I definitely have had that experience and I've been sort of talking about this, that this past week with my therapist and things like that where getting people to acknowledge and listen to you and see you as an equal and that you know something and that you have value to add to a conversation. It's exhausting when it doesn't happen. And it, it just drains the energy out of you, like you were saying, Bariana. And that has been definitely like the forefront of my past week too, where it's just it's so difficult when that happens. And you just like are kind of frozen, you know, like don't know what to do. Um, besides just kind of internalize it and sort of shut down until you can kind of process through these things. And I know one takeaway that I got from my therapist this past week was just carving out that space. And like when a conversation comes up and you're sort of brushed aside or something like that, like I'm just going to start carving out that space for myself regardless, because it's like if the situation arises and somebody is having a conversation with me and then kind of dismisses me, it's just, it's worthwhile to kind of defend the space that you own and that you're, you're able to take up that space at the same time. And I've just started kind of leaning, leaning into that definitely, but um, yeah, absolutely relate to that. That has been at the forefront of my past week for sure. <laughs> that same experience. Thank you so much Ro for sharing that exactly that. I just wanted to say I had a really weird experience many years ago, not at Sunrun because Sunrun people have been great. At another job, some people were talking about the up and coming Thanksgiving. Again, this was many years ago. And then I was standing there and they just looked at me and they're like, what? They go like, you celebrate Thanksgiving? I'm like, yeah, because I'm Jewish. And they go, we didn't think you people celebrated Thanksgiving. I go, well, I'm an American. Why wouldn't I celebrate Thanksgiving? So they left me out of the conversation. It's like they were just looking at me like, 
really? Well, I said, well, we're not all from Israel or Europe. I'm an American. I celebrate Thanksgiving. And they were still like so confused and like looking at me like, really? I didn't know you people did that. So there's the you people thing. And I was left out of a conversation that had to do with an American holiday. And I was as American as they were, but they didn't recognize that. Here I am. I'm an American. I celebrate Thanksgiving. Just one of those examples that, unfortunately, I've gone through many times over the years. But I do have to say, I've been at Sunrun a little over two and a half years, and people are not like that, that I've met at Sunrun. People are pretty inclusive and want to learn more about other people. But it's just, it amazes me how many times things like that have happened to me over the years, like you people, and do you celebrate this? Do you celebrate that? It's just the you people thing. Like, you're different. You're not an American. Yes, I am. I was born in America. I'm an American. And it's just weird the way that comes up all the time, it seems like. Exactly. Oh. It's almost like they, they could be asking a question that could be very curious. and you Which know, is fine if that's what they were going to do. But looking at me like this, like, you people celebrate Thanksgiving? Yes, I'm an American. I celebrate. You know, I'm always open to questions. I really am. Ask me anything, anytime. But don't give me that you people, you're not one of us kind of thing. And that's where I was coming from with that. It was the you people thing. Yes, yeah, that other like othering, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're other, yeah. And that's like, but I am, yeah, <laughs> I'm the same group as you. <laughs> um, Ed, yeah, <clears throat> I just wanted to ask too, uh, me kind of being older, do you think the aspect of diversity inclusion, um, it's kind of a generational thing, like, I don't know, maybe people from my generation look at other cultures uh, or other people in a, maybe in a different way than someone who's like a, the millennial generation, as far as the, as far as the ethos and the cohort, do you think that that's kind of a factor in this too? Um, Ed, I'm a baby boomer and I know people, I see what you're saying. Sometimes people that are a lot younger ask that, but I've had even people in my age group ask questions like that too. So it's not always an age thing. I mean, I'm by far the oldest in the department that I work in. And um, sometimes, you know, and just in general over the years, I've noticed that people, um, the age thing, sometimes ask weird questions like, how come you're not retired at your age? Or how come this or that? It's like, wow, not everybody retires at a certain age. You know, how am I bothering you by still being in the workforce? And again, I don't really see that at Sunrun, but I do see that out there in general where how come this, how come that, uh, or someone your age or, you know, that kind of, what do you mean someone might? Yeah, I'm older than you, so what, you know? But I, I understand what you're saying, Ed, because like I said, I, I'm a senior citizen, so I do get all kinds of weird stuff about that too, in general, yeah. Yeah, more more even just from a standpoint, Carol, of kind of the generation we're in, because I'm probably in your age cohort, probably pretty close. You, although you look like ten years younger than me, I'm not. Uh, but, <laughs> I think but, you're a lot younger than me. <laughs> no, no, um, but the, um, but it's I, I I think one of the things about Sunrun that I I've, I've liked and. The, the whole approach that Lynn Jurich and Ed Fenster is, have uh, engendered mm -hmm. or moved forward is just, you know, the aspect of curiosity, mm -hmm. inclusion, but curiosity where mm -hmm. I, 
I think if you're curious about other people and you want to know where they're coming from and you ask the questions and you kind of get into their space, it, it, it doesn't, it kind of takes it off of you in a sense and kind of puts it on them or yeah. it, it creates that bridge. If you want to know where they're coming from. And I oh, think it's, okay. it's a matter of asking those questions, being curious about okay. where someone comes from, who they are, what's important to them. I think, you know, from a sales aspect, that's, you know, key as, to, as far as how, what we have to do. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I do. All right. I love that line of discussion. Thank you for being so also open to talk and share your experiences. Seems like we've all experienced some version of a hardship that has affected our personhood and often stems in this idea of being othered, being not included, being deemed like not a part of this overall larger um, majority. And it's like, you're over here thinking like, well, I thought I was a part of this. So with every hardship does come ease. And this leads into me discussing my wonderful parents. They emigrated from Haiti to the United States of America. They came to the U.S. at a very, very young age. My mom was in her early 20s. My dad was in his mid-20s. Um, it was not with ease that they made the decision to leave their home country. Um, it was a hardship. So my dad wanted to stay because he was a well-known professor. He was a young professor and like he taught French to the at the university in Haiti. So he had a really cushy uh, situation in Haiti and wasn't trying to leave. And but my mother, on the other hand, she had her older sister here in the United States at that point, And she was had my sister already. She was pregnant with my brother. And she was like, I'm certain a better life awaits me and my kids if I take this leap and go to the United States. So she left. She left without my dad, actually. <laughs> she was like, bye. <laughs> and I don't think he believed she was actually going to leave if he didn't want to leave. And she left. So... Uh, shortly after, my dad was like, oh, my God, I cannot live without my family. So he realized that he wasn't going to live without his family. And he came uh, to the United States afterwards. But sometimes when we hear immigration stories, a lot of the stories are painted around, like, you know, refugees, like uh, family members are escaping something that's terrible. But my parents actually weren't trying to leave Haiti for in that moment for anything in particular, aside from my mom being like, I think I can create a better life from my children here, even though they actually started building a pretty uh, great life in Haiti at the time. So I'm gonna give you a little background about good old Haiti. <laughs> this um, is important to me to explain the background of Haiti because everything in the news as it relates to Haiti is rarely positive or uplifting. Some of the most recent news was the earthquake that recently hit um, before that was the assassination of the president of Haiti. Um, so yes, for anyone who's thinking about it, my whole entire family is safe and sound. And even uh, extended friends are also safe as well. My entire family has emigrated from Haiti to either the United States or Canada. So some of the wonderful things that we don't often hear about Haiti is that deserves recognition. Um, alongside its struggles, because yes, there is some struggles there in that country, is how resilient Haitian people are. The 2010 earthquake, this current earthquake, solving issues with hunger, the spirit of the Haitian people is typically to rise to the occasion with grace and determination. And then 
the, another important factor was that I'm super proud of is Haiti was the first independent black republic in the world. And that was achieved by defeating Napoleon and the French colonists who were using slave labor to grow the lucrative crops were growing on the Haitian soil. And the Haitian people overthrew the French at the Battle of Vertier at the end of 1803, and they became a free country. And part of my childhood was every, that happened on New Year's Day. So New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is also the uh, celebration of um, Haiti's freedom. And what we do as a celebration, as a culture, is we cr make the soup called soup jumu, and it's based with, um, based from like a, a squash, a butternut squash soup. And then there's, of course, meats and spices and, and all tons of deliciousness. And that, and the reason why we make that soup, and lots of many Haitian households make that soup, it's called, if you like Instagram, if you hashtag Zumo, you'll see so many people posting their soup. And why we do that is because soup was actually a meal that only the colonists were able to have the slaves were not able to eat soup whatsoever. So soup was deemed this like this delicacy that they had access to now. So to celebrate the fact that we can now have soup, we've fought for our own freedom. We all, you know, remember that moment by having that soup that day. And you always wonder, so I give a historical background because it paints a picture of why my parents had this strength and resiliency that I couldn't really figure out where they got it from. <laughs> I was like, where did you get this? And they then passed that ability, that strength and resiliency to me in their the way they parented me. And it's literally the foundation of why I'm I am the woman I am today. So fast forward to my parents moving me to a town called Norton, Mass. And I was six years old and it was a pre predominantly white neighborhood. It was, you know, middle to upper middle class, uh, white suburban town. And I, I have two siblings as well. I'm the youngest of three. So that's me, my brother and my sister. So if we arrive and we're all four years apart. So I came into Norton when I was, you know, obviously first grade onward. My brother came in the start of middle school. My sister came at the start of high school. Our experiences in that town are so drastically different. It's startling. I actually think I lucked out being the youngest and being able to grow up with this group of people. I'm not necessarily saying it was easier, but I had that I had that connection with them. They were like, oh, she's been around since we were kids. Like, so they were able to just kind of learn to know who I was as a person. It wasn't always that straightforward but for the most part i think that having that visibility at such a young age allowed me to kind of cultivate like okay i'm clearly different um i don't look like anyone else in this place and but what i'm going to continue to do is i'm going to continue to try to figure out what part of my personality shines and will get me seen and will get me heard and will get me the respect that i know i deserve so of course my parents were very strict on education. So I always had to get good grades. There was a certain standard that I had to meet and they were like, not good enough. If you don't get the certain grades, education is everything. That's the only way you'll get ahead in this country. And they were correct in that regard. So I always did really well in school. They were like, you are a black woman in this world. You're beautiful, you're smart. You're going to hear that you're not any of those things, but you're going to, I'm gonna, you're gonna come home and be reminded that you are beautiful and you're smart and you belong here and you, 
deserve a seat at the table. So having that foundation allowed me to really cultivate the self-love that I needed in order to navigate the world as it is. And a funny, <laughs> a funny um, project that I had to do when I was in the fourth grade was I had to do a project called like, it was a bunch of questions and you had to talk about your life. It was June 7th of 1996. I was in the fourth grade then. And there was a part, a question that the teacher had asked saying, who is <laughs> your special person? And my little fourth grade body on ourself wrote, my special person is myself. <laughs> I met myself while I was in my mom's stomach. I like myself because I just do. And because I'm smart, intelligent, and I'm kind, and I treat everyone like they should be treated, just like how I want to be treated. And I thought that was really just telling of like what my foundation and the parenting that my parents did for me. And I have kept that level of self-love and self-awareness as a big part of who I am in order to navigate all these experiences of being othered or racism or microaggressions. And I keep remembering to tell myself that my time, my me time is important. So when Ro was like, yeah, you need to carve out space for yourself. You need to carve out your space for yourself physically, like in the sense of like, hey, speaking up for yourself in a way that's, you know, that people can hear you and receive it. And also carve out space for your own personal time to just really cultivate that like, that self-esteem that to make sure that you remind yourself how valued and wonderful you are, what you bring to the table. Because otherwise all these moments of these little cuts, I call them these, they'll just take you down and then they will eventually, you know, you're really leave results in being either angry or resentful or just not being able to be your best self in any situation that you're putting yourself in, whether it be socially at work, interacting with new people, you will be put into new environments and just not have the confidence that you need to be able to actually um, really bring out your authenticity. I think that wraps up my cultural conversation. I really took, a, took it upon myself to have this conversation because I wanted people to understand that I have experienced the gamut of just slights on a small level and on a grand level. And I still feel that I have managed to one, do myself proud, do my parents proud who literally sacrificed everything to come here and also really come at every situation with this level of empathy that I don't think a lot of people has, has, has or have, excuse me, if they haven't been experienced some of the things that I've experienced. So I really try really hard to make people feel wanted, accepted, comfortable in their own skin. And we really need to, if even if you're someone who hasn't experienced many things because of just the nature of like your upbringing and or your surroundings, really think about how you can help others feel, bring their most authentic self to whatever table you're at at the time, especially in like in a work environment, in career growth, uh, there is some, like, just like that woman, I'm not saying that woman is a racist. I'm not going to just deem her the woman at the market. I'm not going to just say, oh, she's a racist. But she subconsciously was in her brain, I don't exist. So imagine that woman in a work environment. Who knows who she's interacting with? Who, know, what, who knows what minorities she's uh, coming across? And 
she, without realizing it, is subconsciously not giving them opportunities because she doesn't really hear them or see, she doesn't see them so that she can't hear them and, and or really value what they offer. So if you're in a place of, if you're in a place where you can give that opportunity or give someone the floor to be seen, to be heard, so they can get the opportunities that they deserve, do it. Because sometimes it gets tiring and it's exhausting to always have to speak up for yourself and you just need an ally to speak up for you so your voice can actually be heard and you actually get a seat at that figurative table. So that is all I have for you. And we can open up to questions, conversation. Ed, I see your hand is up. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. Um, but it's funny, you, you're wearing the, the crown of flowers and that kind of brings up a, like a real quick story. So... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Catholic uh, by my tradition and choice. And one of the um, saints that I have a connection to is Teresa of Lazio. And every uh, September they have a festival in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Uh, they bring everyone together and, you know, they honor her, the, her date of death. I think she's been passed away like a hundred years, but she's known as little, little flower. And one of the things that kind of um, stood out to me when I went to this event, like three years ago, was actually a third of the congregants, a third of the people who were there, and there's probably like 6,000 people were actually of Haitian descent. So I started talking to some of the people there, and I'm like, well, you know, Teresa of Lisieux was uh, French, right? She was a French nun who passed away at 24, and she's known as the Little Flower, hence the connection with your, with your um, tiara. But um, I just started talking to some of the people, and they just had this, uh, connection, religious, spiritual, cultural, to Teresa of Lisieux, even though she was a nun who passed away 100 years ago and she was French, this Haitian community kind of adopted her as their own and they connected to her. So like that, the lesson for me was kind of talking to other people and seeing what's important to them, but making connections where you wouldn't ordinarily see that. So that kind of surprised me, but then it just made sense. So even though you know, Haiti and France are, you know, separated by, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles, they still made this connection to her and they, they claimed her and that was important to them. That was part of their, uh, part of their culture. Thank you, Ed. That was an awesome share tying in. Yeah. The, the French colonized Haiti. So we have a ton of French in, um, influence on our culture, on our food, on our in our language. So that is why that um, that nun probably resonated. And of course, it's a very religious culture. My parents are very religious. Um, I have a different take on religion and spirituality, but it's very it's known. Like most Haitian people that you interact with, tend to have some sort of spiritual or religious connection. It's a big part of our community. Um, whatever that means for that particular person. So um, I would say I'm more spiritual than religious, but I do have a really deep foundation. I was raised Catholic, CCD, communion, um, the whole gamut. I I was a part of it uh, due to my parents were like, no, you need to believe in um, this higher power. It's really important for you to. Sure. You got the little flowers. And I got the little flowers to help me give you that flower power. So appreciate that connection. Chris. Mariana. Hey, sorry to hear about that story. On what happened to you? So, if they ever get you down, you know you can call me. I'll cheer you up real quick. So, I wanted to add that. And um, it was also great to hear about a lot of things I didn't know about you and your family and your um, cultural history and stuff. So, thanks for sharing. 
Um, Badiana, I always look at Badiana as white, black. It doesn't matter to me. She's a great, awesome person. She hired me and got me into this company. So I want to thank her for that. But for me, like everyone's different. I don't look at people that color. I just look at it as like, hey, she's a great person. She's always friendly. She's always smiling. Um, that's the type of people I want to be around. So I just want to kind of share that. And thanks for um, sharing everything with us today, Badiana. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. I have a question about the, the culture a little bit and like, and you just being a first generation immigrant, because I am as well. My mom came from Ecuador, as you know, and I, although I was raised in Arizona where there's a lot of Spanish being spoken, <laughs> I didn't grow up speaking Spanish and particularly in, in the household. Um, it was, you know, back in that time, I was born in the mid eighties. So back in that time, it was very common to think, you know, if you speak a different language at home, you're going to put your kids um, at a disadvantage because they're not going to have the full language. So although there was a lot of Spanish spoken at home and I do understand a lot and I do speak a bit, I can get around, you know, I can go in Central America, South America and be fine, but not fluent by any means. Um, what I'm curious about your um, your experience there. Do you speak Haitian? So, yes, I do speak Haitian Creole. So I speak Haitian Creole, English, conversational and French, and I can get a, I can understand Spanish. At some point did speak Spanish, but lost it. <laughs> so, um, but to your point, Nick, my family did speak Haitian Creole at home. I think it was for my parents, although they understood the importance of um, their kids like speaking English very fluently and we all do like me like none of us have I, I'm assuming I don't think I have an accent none of us have an accent and but I think it was more of a comfortable comfortability level at that point for my parents they just wanted to come home and be themselves because out there they really can't they had to you know go through the barrier the microaggressions around oh, like you don't speak English well, or where are you from? Or can, I don't understand you. And I have seen the impact that has made on my mom. Like my mom won't go to a restaurant and order food. Like she has been hit with that so aggressively in her time in the United States, even though if someone took a second and just sort of like, you know, hearing her speak and just instantly hearing an accent and assuming I, I won't understand you. If you just take a minute, to hear what she's saying, you can actually understand what she's saying. And so it has caused her to be very insecure about speaking in public, very insecure about interacting with um, salespeople or any sort of thing that I would not even think twice about. Like, mom, why are you ordering your food? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, but I now realize how the damage that has caused her. Now she's extremely insecure about um, how she has an accent and she doesn't sound like her kids and whatnot. My dad, on the other hand, went back. He was like, I don't care. I have an accent. You can understand me. And he is a wonderful orator and he is a great public speaker. And, but I understand how, why they needed to speak their native language at home because it just, it was just like a piece that's them. That's a part of who they are. And because of that, it wasn't like they were like intentionally being like, let's learn Haitian Creole, but just the exposure at home allowed me to be able to pick up the language. But of course, I don't live with my parents anymore. Of course, I have my own house and whatnot. And like over time, you spend less time with your family. So I do have it, but it's not as it, there was a point in my life where I feel like it was more fluid 
and now I, it takes me a second to get going. I need to be immersed with a group of people who are speaking Haitian Creole, and then it come, it hits me. And that's the same for French. Like if you put me in your when I, we went to France, that's where I got married. Um, it here in the United States, if you were like, "Badiana, speak French," I'd be like, ah, <laughs> "I don't know what to say. How do I say this?" But put me in the environment, and then it all comes flooding back. So I actually loved growing up in a bilingual home because I feel like it expanded my brain in a way that I don't see with someone who's only been raised with one language. Like I have this ability to sh like turn languages on and turn languages off at a dime if I'm in the correct environment. If I'm in a Spanish speaking country, I can start like my brain is like, okay, you know, French, Romance language. Okay, they all kind of come together and then I can start putting the pieces together and start speaking the language so I can communicate effectively and meet the person where they're at um, in their their native tongue, which I think is really special. Not everyone has. You live in Westport, so I'm in the Dartmouth Home Depot, so I live in Fall River. So, like, I've grown up in Massachusetts. I've lived on my on the South Coast pretty much all my life. So, you know, Fall River, New Bedford, you know, these areas, just to maybe comment, like, how do you find the diversity on the South Coast? How do you find the people? Like, just to, just to share for people who aren't from, like, around here, like one of the really strong communities in New Bedford that I've been amazed at for 20 years has been the Cape Verdean community. Like every Cape Verdean person I've met, they're all professionals, really well-read, just really polite, um, friendly, just just really examples of the community. So I don't, I don't know if like you can comment on how you find the South Coast of Mass or if you want to comment or... You know, because you're you live living in Westport now, and you're you know selling in this community, but just uh just maybe to kind of throw that out there, so I can have a different perspective. I can have your perspective. <laughs> so, um, the South Coast of Massachusetts, I feel, is pretty white. <laughs> it's pretty Caucasian. Uh, Westport, definitely. There are pockets of diversity that I love. So of course I have a home in New Bedford. I have a home in Westport. I'm fortunate in that way, but um, New Bedford, it tends to, diversity tends to flock commonly in the United States in cities. So New Bedford has a really diverse population in the sense that we have a lot of Portuguese influence and the Cape Verdean community um, has, you know, has been, their culture kind of is founded in the Portuguese um culture. And so there's a lot of Portuguese and Cape Verdean there. I tend to, I feel as like for me, when it comes to working with neighborhoods and cultures that are not particularly mine, there's a ease, like there's a comfort level that I, I automatically feel because I'm like, okay, we can already relate. We're minorities. And it's, I'm not saying it's technically fair that I have that feeling, but we've we're, we go through the same struggles we're all i can every time we have a i have a conversation with a family that is a minority like they're like it's kind of like a breath of fresh air when they see me walk through the door they're like oh thank god it's someone who of color coming so they understand me my accent is not something i have to be ashamed about i don't i they're not gonna mind the smells of my food they're gonna understand like you know the the religious um icons like you'll see the virgin mary and all of the, you know, the quotes of the Bible and whatnot, and they immediately know that I understand where they're coming from, why they live the way they live, why they've chosen to have these 
like spiritual icons in their home. I just get it. And that is like, to me, I just love having that connection. I love being able to immediately be like, I get you. I understand you. Also, let's talk about solar. I'm going to help you out. <laughs> oh, exactly. Like Nick said, they know they're not going to be invisible with me. They, they know they see me and I see them. And, but on the grand scheme of things, Ed, I do feel that Massachusetts is pretty predominantly Caucasian. And there is a level of like navigating that has to happen growing up in this state. We are liberal. We are more open-minded than many of the other states, but there's still, you know, like everything, there's still work to be done in the state as well. Um, even though we're, you know, we have some of the best schools in the United States and we have a fantastic healthcare system. Uh, there's definitely still some hardships I've faced growing up here, being born in the state. I love Massachusetts. I love New England, but um, we, we're not we're not like the most progressive area by means. Okay, thanks. Good to get your perspective. Um, and it's just like, and I say that with the vantage point of like I had a horrible experience in when I first started, like graduated college in 2008. And, you know, of course that was a whole, like the whole economy crashed and it was like, oh my God, are we going to have a job? We just spent four to six years at schools where they were ex exorbitantly priced. I went to a private school because I wanted to make my parents proud and that costed a bomb. I have student loans up to the wazoo and I Fortunately, got it recognized by my the dean of my program. I was offered a job at the school. Two and a half years in, I'm at work. I had done my hair naturally, so right now you can see my hair is pretty. It's some. It's kind of straightish, but it has some of its natural kinks. But it was like fully natural, like very curly, very big. And I did that because I was celebrating my birthday, and I wanted to just like be my natural, fierce self. Um, and I had my hair out just like, you know, big. And I had like a few braids on the front just to, and my boss's boss, she came, she was coming into our department with the president and she had her secretary come into my office and tell me I have to tie my hair back or I have to, I have to like do something with my hair because she didn't, it, it was too wild. And I was mortified. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe she just said that to me. And I looked at my office spouse at the time and I'm looking at her hair and I'm like, her hair didn't seem any more kept. She had like a messy bun on top of her head. It wasn't like it was like nicely styled. No one said anything to her. And I was like, oh my goodness. That experience traumatized me. I ended up leaving that job. That happened in March. I was in Australia by the, that following March. I left that job because of that experience because I was like, holy crap, this is like, I can't, like, I can't even wear my, like my hair is not accepted here. It just made me feel so small and in a place where I thought I belonged, they just made me realize like, I don't, you don't belong here. And also like, where's the growth for someone who, where's the growth for someone that looks like me? I'm not going to grow in this organization if I can't even wear my hair natural. So I ended up leaving in that, like actually ended my, like my, my career started in higher education and like that ended my career in higher education. I was just so turned off at that point. 
Um, and then I, yeah, I went abroad because I was like, okay, I've always, I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in New England. Maybe it's time for me to broaden my horizons and really like get out of my comfort zone and see what else is out there aside from the United States. So that is what prompted me to move to Australia. And then after Australia, I moved to India and those experiences literally changed my life. I realized that the United States is a very weird <laughs> confusing amalgamation of diversity and cultures. And there's some beautiful things about this country, but there's also some real vastly problematic um, concerns about how we treat differences in the United States. And so Australia allowed me to be in a place where I wasn't like the black girl. I was instantly the black girl. Oh, I have to, I go into every space and I'm like, okay, I have to be hyper aware that I'm the black girl. Am I safe here? Am I, are people going to accept me here? Am I going to be heard here? And I'm, because of that, because of this desire to be like, I need to make sure that I'm seen. I'm a very loud person. I'm very like outgoing. I'm very comfortable in my skin. That has a lot to do with my parents. I know a lot of women who look like me, especially being dark skinned, who aren't comfortable in their skin, who don't think they're beautiful. And that came stemmed from my foundation. So I feel confident going into a space. I'm not like battling insecurity and I'm not ever quieting myself down for, for people, but that took time. And that took like a really strong, like group of family and friends who rallied around me, but Australia, it was totally different. I was the American girl. I walked into the room and they were like, Oh, there's that American. And it was so refreshing to just be American because even in America, I'm not American. Everyone just assumes I'm some foreigner because I don't know, I give off an air of, and I'm fine with that. If you think I'm for, from a foreign country, cool. <laughs> like, I really, I, I mean, I love being abroad. I like being associated with people who are from abroad. So, but I'm not, people don't look at me and they don't just assume, oh, she's an American girl. They just, they obviously assume something completely different. They assume like, oh, where are you from? You can't be from here. Where's your family from? Oh, you speak English so well. Oh, you're so articulate. And so these are the things that I have to, I have to always overcome. And I'm like, I am American. I speak English so well because English is my native language. Like, why are we asking me these questions? And then in Australia, it wasn't like that. They were just like, you're the American girl. You're smart. You're intelligent. You have a lot to offer. You're great. Like it was literally about who I was and it was just a breath of fresh air. So having that experience allowed me to come back to the United States with a fresh perspective. And then I was able to start building a career, not in the, you know, in like the, the gray cloud that was my, my first, you know, experience. You've been so many places. I'm so jealous. Yeah. I want to go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely a game changer. And then like, on like a work career perspective, tying it all back to how I ended up at Sunrun. Um, I had one of the best career like jobs in, in Australia, like full, like my full self 24 seven. They loved everything about me. They loved who I was. They loved what I brought to the table. They valued me. They acknowledged me. They did all the things that you want from a company when you're with them. So at the, after I left Australia, I was like, I need to find that in the United States. And I mean, it's been a challenge, but Sunrun has been a place that I feel like is the closest to that, that I can get to, um, to the role that I was in at Austra in Australia. And the, what actually brought me to Sunrun, because I was with another solar company, was I got recruited, was Lynn. Lynn being a female was huge, a huge reason why I joined the Sunrun uh, team. 
that meant so much to me. I was like, okay, great. I actually, there is room for growth here. And then also the hiring manager was a black male. So I'm like, oh, they have black leaders. Okay, great. But there's definitely room for me to grow here. Um, and then also Keisha was my manager's manager at the time. So I was just like, okay, I see myself in leadership here. So that was like, that was the foundation of me choosing to be at Sunrun, like being able to find a place where there was leadership that looked like me. Cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm ambitious. I'm a go-getter. I'm always looking for the next thing for myself and my family. So I needed to be in a place where I could actually grow and I wasn't going to hit a glass ceiling. Um, and Sunrun was that place. So in the field or the sales organization, I've been an FSC. I've been a retail sales supervisor. I've been a regional sales manager. I've done all the roles, um, well, except like senior manager and director level, but I've done many of the roles in the sales organization. And then also by default, I've also done the work of the RSA. So I have full visibility on all the different roles that impact um, the sales, the field sales organization. And it's been really awesome to be given those opportunities. And so now I'm looking for my next one. I'm really happy you ended up here, Badiana. At least I am. I'm like, I, I don't know what I would do without you. Same. <laughs> Just one question too. Um, is there any tips you could give as far as like how we're dealing with customers as far as I'm not, I guess from an inclusion standpoint or just a conversation just generally in the stores, not specifically for that, but just um, do you see any connection between people having an open mind towards renewable energy and just culture or what's going on in the community? Like that type of connection, if that's maybe kind of an odd question, but. Um. I don't know if I necessarily feel like I can equate certain communities with being more accepting to uh, renewable energy, but I do know that when I interact with homeowners that have family or are from other countries, renewable energy seems to be more, um, it's solar is something that many other countries already use to power certain parts of their country, whether it be homes or like, like, you know, fire stations, like really, you know, anything related to like being able to manage the well-being of that community in that area. So when they have been exposed to it in their home country, they seem to be more open to it here in the United States. So that has been my correlation. Like oftentimes if I speak to homeowners that have descent in Africa, like they'll be like, oh, you know, my home country, Ghana, like we have solar there and whatnot. And then they feel more comfortable, you know, having the conversation about renewable energy here. It's less selling them on the idea of renewable energy, and it's more just explaining to them, educating them on how they can access it. Is it affordable? Is it something that they can, you know, get their hands on? Is it not, it's not going to make them broke? Like, they just need to know that it's a program that will, that is easy for them to get into without much hardship to their, uh, without much financial hardship. Oh, okay, thanks. And so just kind of simplifying it, and I think the the move, regardless of who you're speaking to, is simplify. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Solar has kind of has a bad rap from just various years of just, you know, 
many organizations getting into it for the quick money when the SREC programs and there was a lot of access, like financial gains for a company to get into it. So now you had poor customer experiences and just it kind of has like this like bad rap of being like seedy or something that's shady. We as um, Sunrunners have to remember the values of Sunrun and really approach it with this human-centered mindset and make it simplify it. It's not complicated. Sunrun as an organization has made solar accessible to the masses and you should be proud to say that. You should be like, hey, we've made this accessible to everyone because before it was just too expensive. People couldn't access it. But now we have these programs that make it accessible to everyone and you can now go green and not have to come out of pocket if you don't want to, to go green. And so we have a lot, there's so many benefits to the negatives. With the one, one, one thing I try to get across just being here in Mass is I work for Mass Safe for a period of time and I've worked for HVAC companies, but Massachusetts is the number one state for the last 10 years in energy conservation. So people are very familiar with the Mass Safe program. I just try to connect it back into like resources that are available through Mass Save, energy conservation, uh, everything else that's going on just to make it a part of a whole. So that's one of the conversations I try to have just being in Massachusetts to focus on really the, the positive kind of like with what you're just saying, like a bigger yeah. picture. The bigger picture. And of course, like simple, everyone wants to make sure that like, this is something easy for them to do without affecting, impacting them negatively. So you just have to make sure that we're conveying a message that's like, hey, this is, we're going to make this simple for you. We're not going to complicate this. For you. We're going to be there every step of the way. There's a fear of like putting this on and then all of a sudden sun run disappears or your the point of contact that they're working with is going to be no longer because of what happened in the past. But that's not the case here at Sunrun. Like we're going to be here for the long haul, helping you through um, this transition. And this is a good transition for you that will make easy for you. Thanks, buddy. And I hope to, hope to meet up with you soon because you're in the market down here. But I have to leave for my 2 p.m. chat. Thanks. Go ahead, Ed. Right. Thank you for right. joining my God conversation. Bless God bless. I think we're at time. I really wanted to thank all of you for joining, everyone for participating. This is a really great session. And of course, Adiana for, for sharing all of your personal experiences and stories. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate you. Keep smiling and uh, keep finding, centering yourself and coming back to yourself. And remember that you are amazing. <laughs> if someone hasn't told you recently, I just did. Appreciate you all. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing.